Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Lion Rock Recovery and Third Love. How you guys doing? How's quarantine life? How are your sweatpants? Mine, uh, I'm running out of sweatpants, frankly, and, and comfortable clothing that I'm just, I'm like kind of sick of wearing it. So I've kind of, I mean, to be honest right now, I'm wearing a leopard evening dress just because I wanted to, I wanted you to feel jazzy. I wanted this to be a jazz podcast where you feel like you're in the mood to really thrive because I've gotten sick of just being in sweatpants. Yes, I'm probably only wearing this leopard print evening dress for this podcast intro, but that's my journey and that's my path to cross. (laughs) But I encourage you guys, get out of the sweatpants, you know? Um... Are you guys doing okay? This is this is terrifying. Um, I hate to be light about it, uh, but it is kind of one of the only ways I know how to be. But I will say, I read a really cool article from the New York Times uh, that basically said, like, stop trying to be productive. Like, everyone, it, it's this whole, I definitely have this mentality of, like, oh, well, I have to make the best, absolute, most productive and, you know, maybe monetarily successful time of this time that I have. Like, I gotta, oh, well, how can I, maybe I have a cooking show. Maybe I, you know, chill. Just chill. And I'm saying this mostly to myself. Relax a little. Like, definitely use it to better yourself. And I thought that that was really, my last podcast was with, um, Lauren uh, uh, Handel uh, Zander, who is a life coach, and and I definitely agreed with her. Where use your time wisely. You're never going to have this type of sabbatical again, and and try to do try to figure out what it is that you really want in life, maybe creatively, professionally. But I also think that it is a time to be grateful for what you do have right now, and. I think it is also okay to not feel okay. The, the, the moments and where we go wrong is when we think, oh, I should not be feeling this. I should, I'm just going to pretend like I'm not feeling this. I guess I will just do some, I will perfectionize something or I'll drink this wine or I'll do this thing. Like, I mean, feel free to have the wine and feel free to make things perfect. Sure. Um, but I mean, within reason. Uh, but it, it, it hurts you more to not just accept what you're feeling right now. Like, of course you're scared about the future. Of course it's stressful to have your, your family uh, or I mean, new boyfriends or girlfriends with your quarantine with people that you shouldn't been spending this much time with. I mean, if in, in any, in any other circumstance, so of course you feel a little out of sorts. That's okay. Accept that and then go from there. Like don't beat yourself up because you feel a little bit off or majorly off. And I just want to say, I love you guys. And I really hope that you're doing okay. And I love, I love, love, love chatting with you guys on Instagram. It means a lot to me. I, I don't know. Uh, It makes me feel connected for sure. Like I, I really love it. So thank you. And if you have anything you want to talk about, you can uh, DM me at Rachel N. O'Brien on Instagram. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. And let's talk about stuff. And I hate to ask, 
but maybe you have the time to do it. Uh, I would so appreciate if you could leave a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening because it really helps to keep this going Uh, because I, like you guys, I'm sure, are scared about the future of our jobs and things. So I really appreciate the support and uh, I want to continue putting out good content for you guys. I really, even though I was just preaching like don't go overboard on working on things, I have been really enjoying coming up with uh, new content, uh, reaching out to different guests, like really trying to build this up because all I know personally, all I've been doing, because I can't sit still ever, uh, is listening to a ton of podcasts during this time. And I'm kind of running out of ones. I need people to suggest more, but I'm kind of running out of, like I wish my favorite podcast would put out a few more episodes or even put them up on their Patreons or something because I, I'm, it makes me feel... I don't know, uh, connected in a weird way to the world when I have these. It's not necessarily just the scary news and, you know, looking at social media all the time. Like, I don't know. I enjoy it. So I'm trying to do that for you guys. I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the guest today. I, to be honest, had never watched The Real Housewives of Dallas before um, I was presented with her as a guest. Uh, And so I started watching. uh, I watched probably halfway through this most recent season it's a great show actually they're doing a good job I really like it a lot um and I really loved Deandra Simmons and her mom Mama D but I thought from watching the show I loved her and when I finally got to speak to her I I really saw uh, a kindred spirit and someone that I she's yes she may come from incredible wealth but she has had trauma like we all have had for sure. Um, and she's so unbelievably down to earth and open, probably way more than you would see on the Real Housewives of Dallas. And she's very willing to talk about it on the podcast. And I just really loved her. I thought she, I think she's hilarious. We may do a show together at some point. You'll hear about that. Um, and she's she's hardworking. Yes, she comes from privilege, but she's basically running four businesses right now you're going to hear about hard night good morning her skincare ultimate living which was originally founded by her mother after her mother survived breast cancer and she's she's just an all-around interesting gal it's i i really liked her so without further ado give it up for the hilarious the cool the sweet deandra simmons so thank you so much for doing this well thank you rachel i'm excited to be with you today yeah, I have been doing a ton of research on you. I've watched uh, probably half That's of scary. last season of no, it's good stuff. I watched probably watched like <laughs> half of the last season of uh, Real Housewives of Dallas, and then I've been listening to your podcast and just you know reading up on you. And uh, yeah, I just feel like I, I, you and your mom are hilarious. Uh, Thank you. The, the outfit that Mama D wore to your 50th birthday party, I loved because it was so much. Uh, I thought to myself, did she need a flowery earring with the beaded floral outfit? I think so. I think it worked for her. Well, do you like the high, she always says the high collar, the big earring, of course, the the you know famous, now famous because it's in the clubhouse blonde wig. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, because she's almost 80, she says in a few more years, you'll only see her eyeballs. That's it. She's hiding everything on her body. (laughs) She looked really good, though. Like, I found a picture of, like, you as a little kid and her, and she looks 
like kind of like the same person. I mean, she doesn't really look like she's aged at all. It's probably because of the wonderful skincare and stuff you guys have. But we'll get into that. Okay. Yes. Well, you and also, you, you ridiculously, you guys all just look so young. Well, we do live in Texas, with which is, you know, we've been in this business, we've been in the nutrition industry and in the skincare industry for oh, 23 years now. Wow. Um, but also Texas, my mother was a beauty queen. I don't know if you knew this or not, but my mother mm-hmm. has 35 pageant crowns. Oh, wow. And uh, she kind of started me on that little path when I was younger. I lasted about one or two pageants and I just was not into it. So. <laughs> but so we started with skincare and makeup and the eyeliner lashes and the hair and the wigs and that's just a texas thing i mean dallas is very well known for women that love their makeup and love to look good for their men and their women because it's very competitive (laughs) so um, and it's also the land of really good plastic surgery thank god (laughs) yeah i mean it looks good no i love that it's like slightly different than LA in the sense of like, cause you know, LA is still like, they're pretending to be like beachy, even though they have, you know, hundred thousand dollars worth of plastic surgery, but they're like, I'm so natural, you know? It's so it's like here, people aren't really doing the like big hair and makeup and stuff. And I, I love that kind of throwback to that. And I, I've been during quarantine, full face of makeup every day. And I, well, I have been, I did that for a few days. Cause I would come to the, I still come to the office. So if I come to the office, I was really good. Rachel putting on my makeup and then I kind of got a little sloppy and then today I put on my full eyelashes my eyeshadow and a beautiful blouse and I thought I'm gonna do an interview I'm gonna dress like a boss bitch (laughs) I love it I feel like it's just necessary it just makes you feel good like I think if I was just like no makeup wearing like yoga pants every day I would feel like I was in a rut like I have to do it and I feel like it that whole art of women dressing really nice for men and for each other and for themselves. I really wish that like my generation would bring that back because it's so annoying that we are just like always in workout clothes. And I don't know. It just, I wish people would bring that back. I I completely agree with you. I actually love to go to my husband and I both love to dress up. So uh, going to dinner, we like to dress up and, you know, you look over and there's somebody sitting next to you with their sweatpants and the yoga pants on at a nice restaurant. And that's completely acceptable today. But I miss that going out to dinner and being dressed up and looking good for your maid, your partner, and, and just being that couple that wants to look their best. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's just part of, I, I think there's something very interesting. So in the South, specifically in Texas, like I said, my mother um, was married to my stepfather for 30, I think 35 years, 36 years, but she always dressed up for him and they had a very romantic relationship and, and he enjoyed that. My husband loves it when I dress up, when I have pretty outfit on or when I dress up for him. I mean, instead of just sitting around in my sweatpants or yoga pants all day long, you know, You find that, so I was going to ask you this later in the podcast, but it's a good segue to it. Do you find that that is one of the secrets to having a healthy marriage? Because you and your husband have been together for a long time. And do you, is that, is that one of your secrets? And do you have other ones for keeping your marriage healthy? Well, I probably shouldn't say this, but you want a little bit of tea? Absolutely. (laughs) So my husband was married before me. Um, I think he was married almost 10 years and that was about 10 years before we got together, eight years before we got together or something. And his wife is the, his ex-wife was the antithesis of me. So when he met me with the hair and the makeup and the cute clothes and all that, he was, I mean, he had not had that. His wife was, um, what's the nice way to put it? Um, no, I would say the best way to put it. And I'm going to get in trouble probably is she was sloppy. 
Uh So not taking care of herself, not, um, not trying to, and you know, you don't have to be beautiful to take care of yourself and to look beautiful to your husband. Mm -hmm. I mean, showering, putting on makeup, putting on clothes that fit well, Mm -hmm. making an effort every day. He never had that. And so Mm -hmm. when he married me and when we got together, I started dating, he loved that about me that I was girly as far as I'm not a girly person, but I'm girly with my man. I dress up for my man. I get cute for him and, and he loves it and he appreciates it. It's sexy and it creates that kind of sexual dynamic. And he just, he appreciates it so much more because he never had that before. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think beyond just like being your man, like say, I feel like probably his ex, like that's a sign of how she feels about herself. Like you, you, right, you, right. you can't feel good about yourself if you are just like, I don't really care. I'm not even going to shower today. It's like, oh, come on. Just start with that. Just start with making your bed and taking a shower. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And, you know, we haven't, I've only been around her a couple of times and she's always been, you know, looked great when I was around her, but I think it was just, there was probably, you know, the unhappiness in the marriage at the time. And Jeremy was gone a lot because he was overseas. Uh, He was deployed five times. And I'm sure the strain of that having to, to raise children on your own, Mm -hmm. there's so many different aspects to that, but it was just, there was a difference between the two of us. And I, he went about, I mean, he did a whole 180 when he married me. I don't think he ever dated anybody like me before. (laughs) But that's how you were raised. So I want to go back and talk about like, what was your childhood like? And I mean, I got a little bit, I was dying listening to the podcast where you were, you and your mom were talking about what she used to dress you up in for school. And I related to that so much because I go back and I look at home videos. I'm like, mom, I'm not even carrying a backpack. I was wearing these, like, I was carrying these like large mega totes to match every outfit. And it like was not functional. It was so much larger than me. There were so many florals upon florals and hats to go with everything. I was like, I looked ridiculous. I looked like a like an 80s career woman going to school. Well, I, I had the same experience, but I look like a little pageant queen. So I went to a private school when I was growing up and I was not allowed. In fact, my stepmother will tell you this story. If um, if she could, she would say, Deanna never had any play clothes. I would go to my dad's for the weekend and there would be no play clothes because I had ruffled panties, petticoats. I had matching bows. I had the most beautiful wardrobe. I had 75 pairs of shoes when I was five years old. Sounds matching like gone with the wind. Oh, exactly. Matching <laughs> shoes for every outfit, matching bows for every outfit, velvet bows, uh, you know, those other kind of, I don't know what there are, different kind of bows. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine accessories to go with everything and just nothing that you would have as a child if you're going out to ride a bike or climb a tree not in my wardrobe so my stepmother and my father would buy me those play clothes and leave at my dad's house or at my grandmother so i'd have something to play in because i'd go home and my ruffled panties would be torn Um, But that was, that was my childhood. That was, my mother dressed me up. I always say like a little poupée, which is a French word meaning like doll. So Mm -hmm. uh, she dressed me up like a poupée, like a little doll. And then I was also weird. So (laughs) 
that's to be noted. I would go to school and my palate for um, culinary experience was already very well developed by the time I went to kindergarten because mm-hmm. I loved food. My mother was a good cook. My grandmothers were good cooks and I would try everything. And if my mother and dad were going to dinner, they took me quite often. They just got me a booster seat and I would order from the adult menu. I never thought about ordering from the kids menu. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And I would order escargot and caviar and, <laughs> and the people would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Fog raw. I just want to try everything, you know. <laughs> and there's no food I turned my nose up at, except for probably uh, I didn't like bananas and watermelon. <laughs> Those are the only two things. <laughs> I'm similar in that way too. I have, I mean, food's my passion. Uh, it's like my favorite thing to do is eat and cook. And and I had a very sophisticated palate when I was a kid too. Like I never, I didn't understand when kids were eating like weird gummy candies. I was like, I'm dark chocolate only, and mm-hmm. like. Just, it was very, like, I didn't like, and I still don't like the fakey, like, sh- like, Cheez-Its and Cheese Whiz. And oh, bro- God, no. I'm like, I'm like, I love cheese, but I want a nice cheese. I want to know where this came from. So I totally well, I went to that. Did you, when I went to school, this is how, this is why I said I was weird. I went to school with thermoses of homemade vegetable soup, homemade beef stew, homemade collard greens, homemade black-eyed peas and cornbread. People thought I was just the weirdest kid on the face of the earth. I never even had heard of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich until I saw one and I came home and I said, mother, do you know that people eat peanut butter and jelly? How disgusting. And she thought, oh Lord, what have I done? I've created a monster. And to this day, I will not eat peanut butter and jelly. It is not my thing. My husband loves it. And he has to hide that disgusting, uh, processed peanut butter in the back of the pantry. Cause I don't allow it in the house. <laughs> so funny. No, I, I, to- I totally get that. I think that shame can be one of the hardest things to live with. Cause you think like, I'm the only one that feels this way or, I'm the only one that has ever done that or whatever. But all of us know someone who has been affected by addiction. It could be a family member, a friend, or it could even be you. And that's totally okay. And guess what? You don't even necessarily need to use the word addiction. Lion Rock Recovery even shies away from just putting everyone in the same box. It could be I need help with this drinking problem or this uh, substance abuse problem, whatever it is, because they know everyone is different. And Lion Rock is here to meet you at where you're at. And did you know now that it's possible through Lion Rock Recovery to get help for substance abuse problems online from the privacy of your home? Because listen, not everyone wants to go to an inpatient facility that costs a ton of money and you have to leave it, you have to tell people. It's private, it's convenient, and Lion Rock is the most confidential way to get help. And when you join them at Lion Rock, you have therapy sessions led by a licensed counselor using secure video conference, and you can choose the session times that work for you. Super flexible, and they truly just believe, like I said, at meeting people at where they're at. So they even offer a health and balance program for those who just want to reduce or moderate their alcohol use. And they also offer free online support groups and workshops to anyone who needs help but isn't ready to commit to a treatment program. You don't even have to be a client to take advantage of their free support groups. They are open to anyone, no strings attached. I think they're just truly, truly amazing. And they and Lion Rock knows that most of um, uh, substance abuse or alcohol abuse problems uh, stem from trauma or mental health issues. So no one's judging you, man or woman. They're there for you with open arms. And I encourage you, if you if you know a family member, friend, or even you, 
please visit lionrockrecovery.com backslash be here for more info and a free and totally confidential consultation. And for the be here for a while listeners who enroll in Lion Rock's IOP program, simply mention coupon code be here and they'll send you a free Amazon Fire preloaded with everything you need to log in and get started. Terms and conditions apply. Just listen. Reach out to them, even if you're curious. It, it's, it doesn't cost you any money, and they're there for you. And especially during this time of quarantine where you may feel lonely or, or bored or more inclined. Just, hey, we're all here for you. So where did you have any siblings growing up, or was it just you? I'm the only child, and I had um, a step. So I have an adopted stepbrother, my father and my stepmother, adopted a child when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and he lives in, we have an estranged relationship in that side of the family. Unfortunately, he lives uh, outside of Dallas or a suburb of Dallas with his wife. And then my stepfather had two daughters from previous marriage and they were, by the time I came along, were already grown and in college or out of college. And they have, he has nine grandchildren and now I don't know how many great grandchildren with the, with the grandchildren. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, so that was, but those two girls actually, um, both passed away before my stepfather. They both, um, one had an overdose and another one, uh, had a drinking problem. So it was very unfortunate. Oh, so sad. I, I hope it's not too much to ask this and I can cut this out. Um, so did, so the, the depression then ran on both sides of family because, um, did your real dad, um, suffered from depression if I'm correct, but you, yes, you call, so- you call Glenn, who's your stepdad, your dad, cause you spent the most time with him. Right. I called him both dad, which I know is very confusing, Rachel, but my, no, my not. father, Wait, what are you, you going to call him? Stepdad? I don't know what people do. Yeah, right? I, just, I, was, I wasn't calling him Glenn because he yeah. literally was in my life since I was four years old, but yeah. my biological father was an alcoholic. He was depressed. He had a disease called ataxia, which really ravaged his life and body. It was very much like um, MS or ALS. And that's why oh he took his own life eventually after my first wedding when I was two weeks after my first wedding. And I always suffered with depression as since I was a child, I was also an only child and very unique in certain ways. The, the, um, socialization and gregarious part of my personality is more learned than inherent to me. I'll just tell you that part of it. That's that's interesting. And I developed that probably, I always wanted to be an actress. And so to be an actress, you have to put yourself out there. And that probably from all the acting classes, I I gained confidence. And then going to a women's college uh, helped me gain more confidence. But my father was depressed. He did commit suicide. Then I had on the other side, my grand, my mother's side of the family also had, my grandmother had depression. And I remember she was on Prozac. I mean, this is years and years and years ago. And I think that was the only drug. And mm-hmm. she had anxiety. So the anxiety, depression on both sides of the family. And then my step parents, so my stepfather's children both had obviously depressive issues. And so mm-hmm. I've been around these people with these suicidal issues and depressive issues. And then also knowing genetically for me, it's a problem. And I, mm-hmm. I watch myself. I take medicine. I go to see the doctor. I, I'm very on top of it because, and if I start okay. to feel bad, the last few weeks, obviously, with COVID 19, I got into a depression. I didn't post on Instagram and I thought I've got to pull myself out of this. So I know when I'm going there and I call the doctor and say, okay, I need, we need to work on this. What do I do? Mm -hmm. I I don't want to get to a point where I'm 
in despair where I start having those kind of thoughts. So I'm very much on top of that. That's, I think it's very important too, that you being in the public eye, that you talk about it because I think for so long, and I would love to know, like, was that something, you know, with your, uh, your grandparents or step-grandparents, whatever that, you know, on your mom's side, did, was it talked about that she was depressed and suffered from anxiety or was it just the thing that was like, Oh, because I don't know that, that, what year would that have been? Like when maybe that started, maybe like the forties, fifties. I would say whenever, I don't remember what year they came out with Prozac. I just remember in the seven, when I was in the seventies, I was a little kid. I remember she was taking Prozac seventies and eighties. So there um, was a time like back in the day where they literally diagnosed everything with women that was like, came like with uh depression anxiety was just like oh they're just being hysterical like they were so horrible to women about things like that and no one would talk about it it would be like she's just emotional right now and so it was probably so difficult but in your family were you guys open about that kind of thing or was it a hush hush like it was more of not really talked about and I I remember back then everybody just all the doctors just here's the Valium everybody took Valium because Mm -hmm. (laughs) Valium was the cure-all to every problem which then you created a bunch of women a generation of women dependent on these anti-anxiety drugs and they were just a bunch of zombies yeah so and I you know my grandmother we really like I said we really didn't talk about it and I don't even remember why I know that she took the Prozac and I may have found it and wondered what it was but I did talk to my mother eventually about it, and she did say that she had anxiety and depression, and I believe she apparently saw a psychiatrist and then a psychologist as well. I'm sure it was my mother, was, my grandmother was very uh, Christian, so it was probably a church psychiatrist or psychologist mm-hmm. that she would see. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, uh, I think it's good because the, in the episodes I've watched of The Real Housewives of Dallas, it seems a few uh, of the women are open about their struggles, which I think is 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 important. I, I know I've just by listening to a lot of podcasts where a lot of the hosts are open about their mental illness, a lot of their listeners will write in and say like, you've literally changed my life by talking about this. Now I've finally gone to see a doctor and I don't feel alone and I don't feel like I'm weird because of this. Like it's really just the human condition. And I think it's great that you talk about it. So thank you. Well, thank you. I haven't talked about it a lot on our show because we had other people that really we're talking a lot about it. And I felt like throwing myself into that mix just would have been a little bit more, it would have seemed to the viewer opportunistic, even though it was mm-hmm. my true story. So I just decided to kind of uh, withhold that information mm-hmm. for a while until it was the right time. And it was very much last season, the right time to again, discuss that my father had committed suicide and what that meant to me and how jarring it was for people to throw it out on a table like it was just it was flippant let's just say that way and that upset me so much and and I did mention it and whether or not that resonated it it did with some people other people thought I was just mean you know just what mm-hmm. I mean. it just is what it is but I, that's ha- I, I have noticed that on the and the episodes that I've watched that Instead of uh, a lot of the women, instead of them being like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine what that would have been like to go through that. Because, you know, everyone seems to have their own struggles. They instead uh, uh, kind of accuse the other one of using it in some way or like it's it's it just seems so cruel. Like, why would you take someone's pain if if you've never experienced a parent um, killing themselves? You have no room to talk. You don't get to, right. you don't get to decide what that person is allowed to feel sad about and if they're using it in a manipulative way. I just think it's it's but people can be cruel. I think that on our show in particular, we had 
certain people that were using past mm -hmm. to make excuses for behavior, which yeah. created a bad pattern. And therefore the authentic people and true stories were really not able to shine because that person was so loud and overpowering. And it, it I, I think now it'll be different, to be honest with you, this year is going to be much different, I believe. And that's just mm -hmm. my, my feeling from my heart. But, mm -hmm. and I also feel like a lot of us felt like sharing from our heart was going to be maybe like you said, judged or, or, you know, ripped up or whatever. I know that I'm sure Stephanie Holman was very scared to share her story. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's just the judgment from other sides and, and just the way certain people handle, handled things. That's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. sure you know what I'm talking about. So uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I also just don't find it fair in scenarios. Uh, I mean, not on a TV show where, um, people try to one up another person's pain. And it's like, mm. everyone's got their own pain. Like, uh, even if, even if I didn't experience like having a parent commit suicide, I have my own childhood trauma. I'm not, but no one needs to try to one up the other one or diminish. It's just, yeah, I find that a lot on the reality shows. I don't know if you know this. I have some experience. I've well, more like I'm a glorified background character on Vanderpump Rules. Yeah, I saw on Vanderpump Rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. I said, in fact, I said on. I don't remember if they even played it or not, but I said, well, to this person, I said, well, if I had a problem with my foot, your whole, or I had no, my toe hurt, then your whole toe was cut off when you're four. You know, it's like, exactly. it's, like yeah. it's always the one up, the one up show, and I, you just can't win. So I just stopped sharing a lot of times because yeah. it was like, well, this is your tragedy was so much worse than my tragedy. <laughs> yeah, I actually think what you what you did is smart because it's like it also just kind of like it, it diminishes your pain, and it's kind of like, well, you might as well just keep it to yourself because it is something that's so important to you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I honestly never thought I would find a bra that goes perfectly under almost every outfit. Like I'm talking spaghetti straps, low cut, uh, form fitting, whatever. It smooths my back, lifts my boobs, and the lace looks so pretty under everything. I don't care if it shows. It's third love bras and it's the lace contour plunge bra that has done wonders for me. Honestly, the only bras I wear now are third love bras, but the lace contour plunge bra has, I mean, it's almost a part of like, it's a, it's a fashion accessory for me at this point. And third love just does bras differently because they believe every woman deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day with the right kind of support. They help her do this. And it's designed with measurements from millions of women. Their bra styles are made to fit your life. They have over 80 bra sizes, but know that they only care about the one that matters to you. So this is a, here's how you start. You take their Fit Finder quiz. So you answer a few simple questions and the quiz is actually super fun. It takes like 60 seconds and over 15 million women have taken the quiz to date. And I didn't know this, but breast shape matters. And that, that makes so much sense to me. The third love bras are literally the only bras I own that actually fit me. I don't know why I haven't just thrown out all the other ones. They're amazing. And they have a perfect fit promise. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate to a woman in need. And that's great. But I guarantee you're not going to want to return it. They fit amazing. They're comfortable. And the quality is not to be matched. It's hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. Third Love has donated 
over $15 million in bras and they're doing amazing things and they want you to try them and I want you to try them. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Just go to thirdlove.com slash be here now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash be here for 15% off today. So, okay. So you did answer one of my questions already. I was going to say, did you have aspirations to be on television when you were a kid or be in the entertainment industry? And you said you did want to be an actress. So this didn't, being on the Real Housewives of Dallas didn't come out of complete nowhere. Right. I actually have been in acting classes. I started dance and singing when I was younger. And then I actually in school have a a degree in uh, international affairs, which is like government, economics, and theater. Mm -hmm. And I studied theater all through my 20s, all through when I was growing up since I was five years old. I have my equity card. I have my Screen Actors Guild card. Um, I started on stage here in Dallas at Casa Manana. That's where I got my um, equity card, which is, in my mind, being on stage is the hardest, most challenging, and most rewarding thing you can do as an actor. And I long for the day where I can go back on stage. And um, I have some different auditions coming up, so I'm excited about that. So we'll see what happens. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So, yes, going back into going on Real Housewives was a way for me to maybe get my foot back into the entertainment industry because I had been out. I really tried that from the time my parents wanted me to go to college, which I did. And then by the time I got out of college, it's almost too late to go to Hollywood or whatever you're going to do with your life. So mm-hmm. uh, from 22 to 30, I tried, but it was, I was the wrong look at the wrong time situation. I, back then you had to look, and I've told this to people, you know, you had to be falling over emaciated and even needing a cracker to be on oh, TV. Oh God. So what, yeah. What year was that? The was that like Allie McBeal time? Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So yeah. I was never, the thinnest I was ever was a size four and I was starving myself to be that. So normally I vacillate between a six and an eight. And so back then it was always five more pounds, five more pounds. You need to lose some more weight. You're too, you look like a beauty pageant queen. It was, there was always something wrong with me. And finally mm-hmm. I just said, if I can't make a living doing this, even though it's my passion and my love, I'm going to stop. So I did, Mm -hmm. but then Real Housewives came along and also people started having a different viewpoint with, with different women's bodies and, Mm -hmm. and looking at that differently. And you've got curvy women now that are stars and you've got more accepting people, more accepting of body types that are different. Mm -hmm. So that's now I, I feel comfortable pursuing this at this time in my life, whereas I didn't back then because I was think about how depressing that is. You're getting rejected all the time because your ass is too big. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, uh, that's my life. I mean, I, I moved to LA. I, I graduated college in three years. So I, I moved mm-hmm. to LA when I was, well, I graduated when I was 20 and then I turned 21 and moved to LA. And uh, I, I got like a print agent right away, even though I'm short, but I mm-hmm. guess I could do like anything maybe from the neck up. But it would be constantly, they'd be, they'd be sending me on these castings and they'd be like, tell me to wear a swimsuit. And I would be next to these girls that are 5'11 and I'm like 5'4 and I ate a cupcake the night before because I would do that out of spite too. When they would tell me like, you have to be in a swimsuit tomorrow for your commercial audition. I'd be like, oh, I'll show you a swimsuit. And I would like over just because I was like mad about it. But it was like, it, it, I only lasted about a year trying to do anything that was focused specifically on being pretty. And I became a stand-up comic like a year after I moved to LA pretty much. Cause I was like, 
oh no, I can't handle just being judged on what I look like and waiting for a director or whatever cast director to tell me yes. Like I have to have another outlet. I mean, I still mm-hmm. audition, but like I could, I couldn't handle it. I, I was like, I'm not going to let this kill my self-esteem. So I'm just going to pull myself out of the beauty aspect of this. And that's exactly, I'm so glad you said that. That's really what I did because I felt like I was never pretty enough. I was never thin enough. I was never this enough. So I worked on intellectually that side of my personality. I was always, as an only child by myself, I read a lot of books. I was, I made really good grades and I thought, well, I'll just focus on that because I know that I'm articulate. I know I'm smart and let me work on that. And then I honed in and then also the comedy, like you said, comedy. I love comedy. That's my dream is to do comedy. And that's why you have have that kind of personality, very self-deprecating too. (laughs) The, the, thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I accept that. (laughs) The (laughs) podcast is more about me with my comedy and my mother sits there across the studio. Thank God with her dagger eyes. Cause she's so embarrassed. Some of the irreverent things I say, but that's me with the self-deprecation and the comedy and making fun of things. I love that. And Mm -hmm. my dream would be to do a sitcom or something like that, or to be working on stand-up. I don't know if you know that I did a little show with Brandy and Stephanie on their daily dose of BS. I was a guest twice and it gave me a way, or it gave me a, a little bit of time to work on kind of my shtick, which was even though I came out and I sat down, it was still kind mm-hmm. of like one woman comedy show. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the audience. I enjoyed the feedback. It was really exciting. And they came back to me, um, my the producers of the podcast and said, hey, would you work on a stand up show? And I'm, I just haven't had time to be honest with you. And well, listen, I, when I come to tour in Dallas, because a lot of times I will partner with other like, you know, I mean, I, I'm a stand-up comedian. Like, that's my profession. I've been doing mm-hmm. it for, like, close to 10 years now. But there are a lot of, like, Bravo stars who I know who've just gotten into comedy, like Hannah Burner from Summer House. And now we've partnered on shows together. Like, she was supposed to open for me in Long Island. And I've done another show with – well, I bring my friend Kristen Doty from Vanderpump Rules. She doesn't do stand-up, but, like, I'll do stand-up at the beginning of the show, and then we do a live podcast. If I come to Dallas, feel, let's do a show together. I you would can, love it. I would love it. And I am going to – when I get back to, there's a gentleman and I wish I could think of his name and I'll, I'll tell you after this podcast, I'll, I'll look it up, but that moved here from LA, he's a stand-up comic and my network for my podcast is putting me together with him to work on my, my material. So oh, that's amazing. Crossing my you, fingers. We'll see. I hope people think I'm funny. You know, you never know. Oh my God. <laughs> you no, you are funny. And honestly, you're never going to want to stop. It's one of those things, especially if you feel good on stage and you, and what you said you did, it's almost like the first time you do it. And you're gonna uh, you're gonna bomb a hundred million times, but the times that are great mm-hmm. are, is the best feeling in the world, and it's almost like an addiction. I I don't have an addictive personality, but it's the only thing I can like. I can understand why people become addicted to drugs because this would be a like my version of a drug, and I I would venture to guess you'd feel the same way once you do it. No, it's definitely a high. I mean, when I came off that stage after doing just that little part that I did, it was it felt so good because just to be back on the stage again felt great. And then to have people laugh at some of the things I said and to be able to be quick on my feet, which I was worried about as well. One of the things I don't think I'm great at on the housewife show is there's women on these shows that can just chew you up and spit you out so fast Mm -hmm. and say the things that are just the one liners and all that. And I'm a thinker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So for me, that doesn't work very well. (laughs) being a housewife. Yeah, <laughs> so, no. 
you know, so I worry about that on stage. But no, when most you're on- comics are thinkers. Most comics do, are like in their head. I think people think that comics are always like jokey, jokey, jab, jab, jab. It's like actually they do they do think and analyze the room. And usually when they say something, it's pretty good. But they're not just flying off the handle all the time. I, well, in that's my yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I get that though too. Like especially if you're not. I was going to ask you this. So. Well, let's go back to the show where, because I want to find out how you got cast on the show. Um, okay. And then if you were close with any of the castmates before, um, and if you, if you knew any of them before. And then I have a few questions now uh, after that, because uh, I can guess now your personality when filming. But so how did you get cast on the show? So I was actually asked before they, before season one, a few, I think about a year or two, there'd been several times when people had come and said, we want to do a Housewives of Dallas show and wanted me to help kind of spearhead that project. And it just wasn't time. It wasn't good timing for me. I was back then I was doing um, a lot of philanthropy. In addition to my business, I was chairing balls like junior league ball, underwriting chair for cattle barons, which is American Cancer Society. I chaired probably 25 or 30 things. Mm-hmm. And we reality shows with regards to your backyard, people don't necessarily look <laughs> lovingly on those <laughs> situations mm-hmm. and on people that are on reality shows. So I knew that that was going to be a big issue with all of the, the things that I had committed to in as kind of a socialite or whatever you want to call it in Dallas. My family had been involved in philanthropy for years and years and years. And I was one of the people, I was kind of nominated the person because I was a good spokesperson to go and chair these things and raise money and be the spokesperson. And they were going to be the check writers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's what I did. But what I, so I never really was able to do that. But then after so the first season, they came to me again and said, would you please be on the show? And I said, no, the ba- it's not good timing. They came back to me at the end of it because it was called How to Make It in Dallas. It wasn't called Real Housewives of Dallas. Oh. So they had been filming about three or four months and they said, or three months or so, they said, well, what if we make it a Real Housewives show? Will you join the cast then? And I said, no, because at the time I thought that it wasn't a Real Housewives show. And if you look at the first season, it really wasn't a Real Housewives show if you watch it closely. Mm-hmm. So I said, but next year, come back to me. And if the timing is right, I will join the cast and I will bring somebody with me, which mm-hmm. Cameron and I came the second the second year. Okay. And now we have pretty much um, a completely new cast, which we only have two OGs remaining. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we have a really good cast going into this next year. I'm very excited about it. I just think it wasn't the right Real Housewives cast the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm the perfect person for this show. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that looking at from a producing lens, we didn't really have the right cast. And now a Real Housewives cast is specific. They want affluence. They want a lot of stories. They want, you know, conflict and drama and big personality and all that. And so you really have to have, you have to check all these boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think everybody checked all those boxes, but yeah, so I joined it. I did know uh, Leanne. Um, I had known her in Dallas. We were newer. We were friends. We were kind of, she wasn't one of my best friends, even though that was how it was portrayed. She was a friend of mine. She was in my wedding with Jeremy. And the reason oh. is because we had, so I had my girlfriend that was my friend for years and years. Uh, we kind of got into a little um, argument because I decided to get married so quickly and she was not going to be able to stand up with me 
but I had another really good friend standing up. And so another friend suggested, oh, ask Leanne. She's a new friend of yours. She would love to be in your wedding because my girlfriends, we had literally got married in a month and my girlfriends that I would have asked from college, they couldn't, it was, they couldn't come at that time. It was Valentine's day. They all lived on the East coast. It was just one of those things. Mm -hmm. So the wedding had 40 people and then we had a big um, reception in Dallas after at a friend's house. That was like 250 people, but in one of my college roommates came. So at the time it was just, it just worked out that Leanne was in the wedding. Let's just put it that way. We were mm -hmm. better friends. We'd become closer. So I did know her. I knew at the time, Carrie Duber, I knew Cameron, the first, I did not know Brandy and Stephanie. I knew Tiffany because of the fact that she was friends with Leanne. Um, I knew Marie Reyes, who was kind of a ancillary cast member that year. Um, so yeah, I knew most of the women. Stephanie, I had known socially a little bit because we had been involved in some uh, charity events together, but I had never met Brandy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. I think this would be my guess, but maybe not. So when you said that uh, you don't you don't come off with one-liners because you're more of a thinker, I can see that now in a scene with. Uh, it's when you and Leanne are like trying to make up and I know we weren't really supposed to talk about her, but it's not, I'm not going to ask you any major questions. I'm just talking about your personality uh, that you're just listening to what she's saying. And I totally related to that. And she's, and she says to you, you're looking down on me, but I was like, she's just listening. It looks like she's just listening. Like you didn't say right, anything. And I, I was just listening. I wasn't, <laughs> this is the thing. And I think since you've seen the scene, you can understand that. That's her issue with herself. That has mm -hmm. nothing to do with me. That's all about you, girlfriend. That's not about me. I'm just listening to you to ha see what you have to say. So yeah. whether people believe that version of me looking down on her, I never looked down on her. I never said a condescending word to the woman as far as her status or her ability to write checks or whatever she said, accused me of. I never did any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I always built her up. I brought her along with me. I introduced her to people in society. I tried to help her meet the people and connect the people that she wanted to meet and she wanted to get in front of. That was all me trying to help her. So mm -hmm. if I was looking down on you, why would I have done that for you for so many years? Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't appear that way. It just seemed like you were taking in the information and not trying to necessarily escalate it. Um, I was trying not to get into, I was trying to hold my tongue mm -hmm. and not get into another argument with her because she's one of those people that will throw out a bunch of hurtful, nasty, one-liner kind of things and, mm -hmm. and looking for a reaction. She's fishing for you to react. Just like mm -hmm. the next time we met up, which she insisted that we meet up again, was at a dinner and she, we had said, and I said, look, Leanne, I'll apologize again. And I'm done apologizing and this and that. And we're done. And we start talking about the wedding and she throws into me, she says, is your mother still financially controlling you? Well, there she's trying to fish again to try right. to get me to react. Yeah, so, absolutely. And I yeah. didn't buy it. I did not buy any of her lines or her, you know, trying to get me to react. She's trying to get me fly off the handle because she created this whole uh, name for me on social media as D-Anger. That was her creating all of that. She created that with fake accounts. So she created that with her interviews. And so she was trying to get me to go back into being angry, which mm -hmm. I never understood why people thought I was angry. I didn't understand that. <laughs> but I mean, if you had all this stuff that happened to you, you'd be upset, obviously. So yeah. that's just, I mean, that's human nature, but I was never, I'm not an angry person by nature. Yeah. So are you comfortable? So I think it's, it does take a very specific uh, personality to be on reality television. 
Um, I don't oh, yeah. think I have, I don't think I have that personality. I think I'm way too much of a perfectionist in terms of like, yes, of course I like to get drunk. I'm way too nervous to get drunk on camera. That's one thing. I have a very hard time with confrontation. I do sort of just sit there and just like play dead basically. Um, so I, you, you have to be good enough with confrontation, I think, to be on the show. So, but it, was that something you learned from being on the show? Because you don't seem very confrontational, if that makes sense. Like you don't seem like you thrive on the drama. Right. I don't. And that's, I would say that's probably my worst contribution as a housewife is that I'm not <laughs> confrontational. And that's really one of the top boxes you need to check is you need to be confrontational. So that is a learned behavior for me mm-hmm. um, to confront people about things that, First of all, I wouldn't even care about in my real life. I would mm-hmm. not care about um, some private things that, that, you know, people don't want to talk about. But those are the kind of things that they want you to talk about and they want you to call people out and see. That's very much part of the show. There's a formula to the show. Mm-hmm. So once I understood that there's a formula to the show and how the show works, I felt less bad about it, <laughs> about doing it. That makes sense. And people call me out all the time, too. And I just realized that's the format of the show is being a little uh, sassy, being shady. That's what people want to see in addition to the true personal stories. So I just had to work on that. And I had to just buck up, I guess you want to (laughs) say. Yeah. Well, I think once you understand that everyone's doing the same thing, you feel less bad about it, I'm sure. Like, it's everyone knows that that's what this show is, like all the other cast members, right? Would you say that's? I I I think so. I mean, you have to bring it because if you don't bring it, that's what the the viewers want to see all of it. So if you have no drama, there is no show. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, I didn't feel so bad about it anymore and just said, okay, we're all in this together. And so everybody knows what we have to do here. And don't, don't, I mean, people are going to come down on you so hard on social media because of it. But if it wasn't Mm -hmm. there, they wouldn't be watching. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know? Yeah, I guess you just have to not pay attention. How and how do you deal with like internet trolls and stuff? Oh, it's been horrible. The last two years, it was so awful, Rachel. I would be like in a puddle crying, and yes. I'm a pretty strong person, mm-hmm. but I really almost lost it. I thought I was going to end up in a mental mental institution last year, and just some mm-hmm. of the things that were planted about me by other cast members which were just to take the focus off of them and stuff was not true at all. It really upset me. And I would never go and plant something about somebody. I don't go call the tabloids and say, here, this is this information or you need this. Or I, I just don't have, first of all, I don't have time. I've got yeah. <laughs> I've, one thing you asked that you don't know about me. I have, I have four jobs. So I oh, am wow. trying to do my jobs. I can barely handle my social media, but there are people that are going to be out there and, I, for instance, I, um, I guess a few days ago, I did a prayer on my Instagram. You would think me praying for people would be very well received and people would love that. And that's something I thought people needed. I've been raised a Christian my whole life. I am a Christian. I talk about it. I no shame in it at all, but Christians make mistakes. Christians mm-hmm. drink too much. Sometimes Christians, mm-hmm. you know, say things I shouldn't say. That's human nature. So, of course, people, there was wonderful, wonderful commentary from people that were believers and not believers. And then there was the people that said, well, if you're going to do a prayer like that, then you should pray for the entire world and not just for the United States or something like that. Or if you're going to do this, then you shouldn't be a housewife because those two don't match up. I mean, it's like, you know, like I would never go on somebody's page and write stuff like that that I don't know. I don't know who these people are. I mean, 
you know, find something better constructive to do with your time. I mean, yeah. but do you find, and I think this is human nature. I do the same thing. You could get a hundred wonderful comments and one or two bad ones. And you focus on the bad ones. Oh, always focus on the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the worst. And then, um, okay. So you're a comedian. Let me just ask you this uh-huh. real quick. So Rachel, so I try to do on my Insta story, just funny little things that I see and put them out there. Then I get people that you're mean. That's not nice. I mean, one of the things is I've been eating like I'm going to have my last meal and be executed tomorrow. Okay. So I'm keeping everything in sight, you know, I I gained about 20 pounds. I'm not kidding you. And I've got to get my act together. I started today back monitoring my calories because, and I'm a fabulous cook. So I was putting stuff up there about after quarantine, we go into the beach, you know, and everybody's overweight and just, just stuff that was funny. But mm-hmm. then I get, oh, well, you're making fun of fat people. I'm like, no, I'm making fun of myself. I've been fat shamed my whole life, even on the show. Have you watched it? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I actually think it's if you lump yourself into it for the most part and you and it is that you're being more self-deprecating on yourself, that's fine. I th- I think that that's fair game. Now, I think there's certain subjects that are, I think, just off topic, but but you're not literally going like, ew, gross, fat people. You're like, I've gained weight. I have been eating so much. Like, you're making fun of yourself. That's, you know. I, I mean, I put a joke up yesterday of somebody, I think it was something like stand in, tonight we're all going to stand in front of our um, windows naked because of, I don't know, for inspection for COVID or something. This lady goes, oh, that's just so inappropriate or just that's just, just disgusting. I mean, like, do you not have a sense of humor? Where's your sense of humor? Yeah. It's, yeah. it, it baffles me how people just can't laugh and they have to write some you know, ridiculous comment back about silly things. Gosh, I honestly think that laughing is what's going to get people through a lot of this right. pandemic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your business and then we'll wrap it up with listener questions because I know you're very busy. So what are your four jobs? So I have two brands. Um, one I inherited from my mother, which is Ultimate Living, and it's a nutrition supplement company. Uh, company. And this is when right now our products are doing really well. Our Green Miracle is our number one selling product. It's the product that my mother created 23 years ago when she had cancer to build her immune system. And it's a green foods product. So that's our number one seller in Ultimate Living. And then I have hard neck. quick question about that? Did it used to have different packaging? Because I think I bought it before. Yeah, I changed all the packaging. I updated both brands. Okay. Um, still working on websites. In fact, I was doing that today. I'm working on a new Hard Night and Morning website. I've always tried to refresh it every year or two. No, that's great. Yeah. Same thing with Ultimate Living. I've changed all the packaging. So, yeah. yes, yeah. we had my, – when my mother was here, she was really married to that 1990s packaging. <laughs> Okay. Yes. I, I, I liked it. I, I purchased it before, like way before I even knew who you were. So yeah. And, and then updated you updated have... the taste and everything. So it tastes great now. And it's, um, it's much more packed with nutrients because I have up the green foods in it. So. Oh, that's great. And then, um, what about hard night? Good morning. There, so, uh, my listeners are very curious about that. And I am too. I love so hard night. Good morning is my skincare line that I started in 2008. Prior to that, I had developed my mother's products for D Simmons skincare. And we had been on HSN with that. And I wanted my own line, something that was mine that wasn't 
really connected to my mother and I just uh, developed another aloe vera based skincare line because that's what I believe in is really good aloe vera based skincare with botanicals and actives at the efficacious level. That's the difference is people could say, oh, it has this, this and this in it. But if it doesn't have the levels of the clinical studies, it's not going to work. So mm-hmm. it's very important. And then um, I kept it with no parabens, no sulfates, no phthalates, the things that people don't want on their skin because they gotten smart to all that. And um, basically, we just have launched a new product called Hydrating Cream Cleanser that I repurposed from my mother's line, the D7 skincare line. She had a hydrating cleanser as well. And it was such a bestseller that I decided to put it into my line, but just make it a little bit better. So it has, um, it's a very creamy cleanser. It has things like cucumber and um, it has like the sweet almond oil and the different things to remove your makeup, but also a lot of antioxidants, grapefruit, different things for your skin as well. So um, it's a wonderful wonderful cleanser and it, it tightens pores, it soothes irritation, um, has arnica, which is great for bruising and swelling, chamomile, rosemary. So um, those are all great things to put on your skin and people have just loved it. So yeah. that's a new product we just came out with. And then the rest of the products, the L22 was launched on Real Housewives. That's become a great a bestseller and it has six different actives to deal with everything from age spots to um, L22 brings your lipid levels back to when you're 22. So think plumping plumping, and it has um, different things for basically reducing wrinkles, tightness, firmness, smoothness. Um, It's an amazing product. People just love it. I'm going to be purchasing these things after we get off this. <laughs> I, need I will send you a little gift basket. So that, okay. So you have those two and then Real Housewives, obviously. Mm-hmm. I have Real then, Housewives. I'm sorry, I'm writing this and, down so I don't forget to send you products. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Okay, so I have uh, Real Housewives, and then I have the podcast. So we're talking. Mm-hmm. So there's two companies: the podcast, Real Housewives, and then my agent in Los Angeles and my manager also send me audition things that I'm auditioning for right now. There's nothing happening, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there's yeah. no auditions right now. But um, so I do still you know, try to get jobs as an actress, as long as they work within the Real Housewives. Real Housewives takes first, um, right, or or first precedence, for instance, with the filming. And then as long as I can get all my scenes in, I can do other scripted work, but no reality work. Yeah, that is actually the reason why I never fully participated in Vanderpump. I was cast to be on it. And also, I wasn't good at it. But uh, that's besides the point. But I wouldn't (laughs) sign there like, real contract I just signed on as like a background character basically because uh, my agent told me technically they could tell you let's say I got a stand-up comedy special because that is me appearing as myself and it's not scripted they could tell me I couldn't do it and I was like that's not going to be worth it for me because I also knew I wasn't going to be great at it I never worked at the restaurant I don't like fighting with people you know so yeah I totally get that so that yeah, so you, you basically have four very full time jobs. Very, and then you have to think about. I'm sure you're doing social media posts and things like that that are. And I've been so bad about that. I just don't my time. I mean, there's most of the people that are most of the women on on the show with me. They don't have a full time job and employees and all that. They they can spend a lot of time on the social media, which I I just don't have a lot of time to do that. And Mm -hmm. even though I have part-time assistants and things like that, I try to really, I want to look at stuff. I don't want people putting stuff up without me seeing it because then I want to be able to answer for whatever's up there, you know? Mm -hmm, Um, So I just, I need to be better at the social media. Um, 
I just, that's one of the things I need to improve on. Just not the greatest yeah. at it. I just have a lot going on, but I have some auditions coming up, one for a play, real excited Ooh. about, which I told you I'm I want so to be excited. back on, on the stage. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a little, an opportunity. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if the timing's going to work out because of where everything's pushed back this year. Oh yeah. The, when, when, when do you guys normally film? What part, what time we, of the year? We were supposed to start right now. Oh, but okay. that's later. We usually start in February, but oh. uh, because we had some casting changes, we were supposed to start right now. And then, of course, then they said, OK, um, April 20th, which has now been pushed to May 4th because mm -hmm. we have this shelter in place order. Mm -hmm. So then I don't know when we're going to start. I know that I talked to Margaret Josephs on Real Housewives in New Jersey last week, and she said that they had you know, they, they filmed for a week and they were completely stopped indefinitely until they know more about what's going to happen. Same thing with Orange County. They filmed for a month and they had to stop. So everybody's in the same position pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you're super busy and the listener questions, you basically answered them, but uh, I'll just give you one that was just a compliment. Uh, someone yeah. just said that, that you were their favorite and uh, on the show and that they think that Dallas, uh, this is Kellen Redmill, uh, and they think that Dallas is slowly becoming one of the best ones. Uh, best Housewives franchises. Oh, thank you, Kellen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All those words of encouragement mean a lot to me because it is, as you know, Rachel, hard to do this. So mm -hmm. the encouragement that I do get from people that write me or say things like, for instance, what you just read to me, it means so much. It means the world to me. Yeah, I love that. Well, tell everyone where they can find you and uh, where like the links to your websites to buy the products are. So they can find me at... Uh, at D-A-N-D-R-A-S-I-M-M-O-N-S -M -M -O on Twitter and on um, Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's how you spell my name. It's D apostrophe capital A-N-D-R-A Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S. -M -M and then my brands are Hard Night, Good Morning Skincare, and then Ultimate Living. And they're two separate brands, two separate websites. Ultimate Living is nutritional and Hard Night, Good Morning is a skincare. I love it. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll put links to those in the show notes too. And yeah, I really appreciate it. This was great. I loved every part of this interview. And yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you. And you better call me about the comedy. I'm going to hold oh, you. Oh, 100% will. I love, I love partnering with other Bravo people on this. I mean, oh, it'll be fun. You, yeah. So I 100% will. So have uh, Kelly send me your info. Oh, I sure will. Thank you okay. so much. Thank I appreciate you. your time. Okay. Bye-bye. Well,